You're listening to The World in My Eyes. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Renegade Nation Atlanta, and welcome to another episode of The World in My Eyes, where I get the chance to share what all those crazy little bastards in my head are talking about on a regular basis. And we've spent such a great deal of time getting so very intimate with each other, but in case you're new to the program, I am the naughty mistress with the mostest, the melodic goddess, and the deviant diva, naughty Nicole Delacroix. And I know I've been a little MIA lately, and I, I so apologize for that. I promise you, it's just been work is running me ragged, and I haven't had any chance to record anything. But today I took the time, because I'm so excited about today's topic. But before I jump into today's topic, I do want to remind all you naughty little listeners out there that the Renegade Talk Radio Network is still growing every single day. We've got a fantastic website, so make sure you've got it bookmarked, because if you don't, well, well, you suck. I'm kidding, you don't. Well, you probably do, but it doesn't matter. And make sure you check out all the fascinating and provocative shows on our website. We've even got a few oldies coming back. You don't want to miss it. And don't forget, we have so much more great talk radio on its way to you. So make sure you're checking back in with us daily. Because I promise you this, you do not want to miss what's coming up next. And, you know, if you've had a, your fill of talk radio for the moment. <gasps> what? No, you didn't. No, I'm kidding. Don't forget about Sky Pilot Radio because they are playing the best goddamn music of all time. Seriously, turn it over there. If you're not listening to us on on Renegade, you better be listening to Sky Pilot. But here's a good question for you. Are you a budding podcaster? Do you think you got the cojones to join the Renegade Talk Radio Network? Well, then head on over to the website and sign up so that you can show Richie what you got. Seriously, he loves the dick pics. Send him lots. I'm kidding. Richie's going to show you how to do things right because he's been in this industry, well, since, you know, Jesus was a toddler. And he is going to make sure that you're doing things perfectly. And if you listen to him and you got the right stuff, he's going to put you on Renegade. That's right, with me or with Richie or with Sammy or with Everly or all the other ones. That's right. You could be with somebody or you could be by yourself. Who knows? All right. That's enough of that, Dribble. Let's jump into today's topic. My little heathens, I missed you so much. And on today's episode, well, we are t digging into yet another celebration. So, Go dig out that Revolutionary War memorabilia you know you got hiding in your closet. Or maybe that tri-corner hat you got and anything colonial. Because we're talking the 4th of July. That's right, the 4th of July, my loves. Better known as Independence Day. And it's been a federal holiday in the United States since 1941. But the tradition of Independence Day celebrations, well, it goes back all the way to the 18th century and the American Revolution. On that fateful day, July the 2nd of 1776, the Continental Congress voted in favor of independence. And two days later, delegates from the 13 colonies 
voted to adopt the Declaration of Independence, a historic document drafted by none other than Thomas Jefferson. From 1776 to the present day, the 4th of July has been celebrated as the birth of American independence, with festivities that range from fireworks, parades, and concerts, to even more casual family gatherings and even barbecues. But when the initial battles in the Revolutionary War broke out in April of 1775, few colonists desired complete independence from Great Britain, and those who did, well, they were considered radicals. By the middle of the following year, however, many more colonists had come to favor independence thanks to growing hostility against Britain and the spread of revolutionary sentiments such as those expressed in the best-selling pamphlet Common Sense, published by Thomas Paine in early 1776. On June 7th, when the Continental Congress met at the Pennsylvania State House, later called Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the Virginia delegate Richard Henry Lee introduced a motion calling for the colony's independence. Amid heated debate, Congress postponed the vote on Lee's resolution, but appointed a five-man committee, including Thomas Jefferson of Virginia, John Adams of Massachusetts, Roger Sherman of Connecticut, Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania, and Robert R. Livingston of New York to draft a formal statement justifying the break with Great Britain. John Adams believed that July the 2nd was the correct date on which to celebrate the birth of our great nation, and would reportedly turn down invitations to appear at July the 4th events in protest. Adams and Thomas Jefferson both died on July the 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. But on July the 2nd, the Continental Congress voted in favor of Lee's resolution for independence in a near-unanimous vote. The New York delegation abstained, but later voted affirmatively and joined the rest of us. On that day, John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, that July the 2nd will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival, and that the celebration should include pop and parade, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other. On July the 4th, the Continental Congress formally adopted the Declaration of Independence, which had been written largely by Jefferson. Though the vote for actual independence took place on July the 2nd, from then on, the 4th became the day that was celebrated as the birth of American independence. In the pre-revolutionary years, colonists had held annual celebration of the King's birthday, which traditionally included the ringing of bells, bonfires, processions, and speech-making and other merriment. By contrast, during the summer of 1776, some colonists celebrated the birth of independence by holding mock funerals for King George III as a way of symbolizing the end of the monarchy's hold on America and the triumph of liberty. Festivities included concerts, bonfires, parades, and the firing of cannons and muskets usually accompanied the first public readings of the Declaration of Independence, beginning immediately after its adoption. Philadelphia held the first annual commemoration of independence on July 4, 1777, while Congress was still occupied with the ongoing war. 
George Washington issued double rations of rum to all his soldiers. Woohoo, George, I'm liking you. Okay, double rations of rum to all his soldiers to mark the anniversary of independence in 1778 and again in 1781. Several months before the key American victory at Yorktown, Massachusetts became the first state to make July 4th an official state holiday. After the Revolutionary War, Americans continued to commemorate Independence Day every year in celebrations that allowed the new nation's emerging political leaders to address citizens and create a feeling of unity. By the last decade of the 18th century, the two major political parties, Federalists and Democratic Republicans, that had arisen began holding separate Fourth of July celebrations in many large cities. The tradition of patriotic celebration became even more widespread after the War of 1812, in which the United States again faced Great Britain. In 1870, the U.S. Congress made July 4th a federal holiday. And, in 1941, the provision was expanded to grant a paid holiday to all federal employees. Over the years, the political importance of the holiday would decline, but Independence Day remained an important national holiday and a symbol of patriotism. Falling in midsummer, the 4th of July has since the late 19th century become a major focus of leisure activities and a common occasion for family get-togethers, often involving fireworks and outdoor barbecues. The most common symbol of the holiday is the American flag. And the common musical accompaniment is the Star-Spangled Banner, the national anthem of the United States. And if you live in the South, more than once on the 4th of July, you're going to hear, I can do that. Here, hold my beer. All right, my dear sweet listeners, it's time for us to honor our sponsors and maybe check out a little music. You're listening to The World in My Eyes. I'm still very naughty, Nicole. And this is Renegade Talk Radio Atlanta. So go grab yourself some flags, a little bit of barbecue, and a few fireworks, and meet me back here after the break. Fellas. Didn't get what you were hoping for from Santa Claus this year? Looking to add a little spice to things in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about an adventurous new adult toy or movie? Well, then we have an offer that you won't be able to resist. Go to toysforpleasure.vegas and for a limited time, you'll get 20% off store-wide and we'll even throw in free shipping for any order above $100. And no, we're not teasing. So check out toysforpleasure.vegas today and use special offer code BABE69 upon checkout and make sure all your adult fantasies come true with toysforpleasure.vegas today. Remember, use offer code babe69 that's b a b e 69 to receive a 20% discount on your entire order and gift the gift that santa forgot to give this year All right, my lovelies, welcome back, Renegade Nation. If you're just tuning in, well, you're listening to the world of my eyes, and I am the very, very naughty Nicole. And today, we're talking about America's Independence Day, the 4th of July. So, let's jump right back on into our topic today. Let's talk about the Declaration of Independence, the summary, the text, and the signers. 
Now, when he penned the Declaration of Independence in 1776, Thomas Jefferson had a little bit of an inkling of the consequences that it was going to hold for the 13 colonies, who were basically announcing their intention to break free from the shackles of British rule. What he and the other signers may not have anticipated, however, were the widespread effects these powerful words would have around the world. The promise was evident in the famous phrases scrawled near the top of the document. And hold on to your beanies, my friends. These are some moving words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whew, doesn't that just give you chills? That is the best sentence ever written. The Declaration of Independence didn't just change the course of American history, but created a ripple effect that nudged a host of other nations towards independence as well, making a revolutionary poster boy of Jefferson in the process. Britain's vast army was already on its way towards New York Harbor when Jefferson sat down to compose the Declaration in June of 1776, and he began with, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Listen to that. Let the words soak in. Because the ideas that Jefferson expressed, which justified the reasons for revolt with a list of charges against the British king, well, they weren't original. A number of global texts written during this highly charged Enlightenment years of the 17th and 18th century included similar ideals about liberty and the right to self-determination, and Americans throughout the colonies were already promoting the progressive worldview in newspapers and in school books. It was the fiery political climate into which the Declaration was born that made Jefferson's words so important. When his final draft was edited and adopted by Congress on the 4th of July, the statement signified independence, but it also solidified the path to all-out war, and not just in the new United States. No, when liberty gets going, it gets going good. In fact, immediately after it was printed, the Declaration sparked worldwide debate on the legitimacy of colonial rule. Several countries used the document as a shining beacon in their own struggles for independence and adopted Jefferson as their figurehead. Jefferson himself predicted that American independence would be a catalyzing force, a, quote, ball of liberty, end quote, he called it, that would soon make its way across the globe. First came France, whose revolution in the 1780s and 90s drew upon the American experience and literature for inspiration. Jefferson happened to be a minister to France at the time and became an ardent supporter of the revolutionaries, even helping to draft a charter of rights in support of the new republic, eerily similar to the one he'd written just a decade prior. 
With its mother country France in disarray, another colony inspired by the American Revolution sought independence in the late 18th century. Haiti had been a profitable sugar and coffee colony for centuries, known as one of the cruelest plantation islands in the Caribbean. Led by freed slave Toussaint Louverture, who quoted both France and America's declarations to stir the uprising, Haiti achieved its own liberty in 1804. Ironically, former slaves in Haiti had used the Declaration of Independence as a model in their fight for freedom, while the document gave no such rights to slaves in the United States. In the years that followed, themes from the Declaration were sourced and reinterpreted for further independence movements in Greece, Poland, Russia, and throughout South America. A world of empires was gradually turning into a world of sovereign states. But the big question, who signed the Declaration of Independence? Did you know? There were a total of 56 signers on the document. And... We're going to go column by column. Column number one, the great state of Georgia. Button Gwinnett, Lyman Hall, and George Walton. Column number two, the great state of North Carolina, with William Hooper, Joseph Hughes, and John Penn. And South Carolina, not to be left out, with Edward Rutledge, Thomas Hayward Jr., Thomas Lynch Jr., and Arthur Middleton. In column three, we saw Massachusetts with the great John Hancock. Maryland followed similarly with Samuel Chase, William Packa, Thomas Stone, and Charles Carroll of Carrollton. Not to be left behind, Virginia joined in with George Wythe, Richard Henry Lee, the great Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Harrison, Thomas Nelson Jr., Francis Lightfoot Lee, Carter Braxton, and column four, we hit Pennsylvania with Robert Morris, Benjamin Rush, the great Benjamin Franklin, John Morton, George Clymer, James Smith, George Taylor, James Wilson, George Ross. Not to be left out, the great state of Delaware with Caesar Rodney, George Reed, and Thomas McKean, which moves us to column number five. And our New Yorkers, that's right. William Floyd, Philip Livingston, Francis Lewis, and Lewis Morris. And don't forget about Jersey, my friends. No, New Jersey was right there with us, with Richard Stockton, John Witherspoon, Francis Hopkinson, John Hart, and Abraham Clark. The final column, column six, not to be diminished at all, was New Hampshire with Josiah Bartlett and William Whipple, and Massachusetts with the great Samuel Adams, John Adams, Robert Treat Payne, Elderbridge, Gary, and Rhode Island with Stephen Hopkins and William Ellery, the state of Connecticut with Roger Sherman, Samuel Huntington, William Williams, and Oliver Walcott, and last but not least, New Hampshire with Matthew Thornton. And lastly, what battle inspired the Star-Spangled Banner? The rockets were glaring red and the bombs were bursting in air as the British relentlessly attacked Baltimore's Fort McHenry on the night of September 13th and 14th in 1814, the last year of the War of 1812. When Francis Scott Key spotted by the dawn's early light that his 15-starred flag was still there yet waving over the fort, he was inspired to write a poem 
honoring that victory. Later put to music, Key's Ode was decreed the official national anthem of the United States in 1931. The actual Star-Spangled Banner from Fort McHenry, McHenry is at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History in Washington, D.C., and I have had the honor of seeing that flag. It's beautiful. You should see it. All right, so don't forget to check out my reading of the Declaration of Independence if you're so interested. It's a real page-turner. I'm not joking. And with that, we've come to the end of our episode. I know, my darlings, I missed you so. And I thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you do take some time to reach out to me because I promise you I would love to hear from you. You can find me at my website, www.nicole-delacroix.com, on Twitter at at Nicole Delacroix, or you can even send me an email if you want at NaughtyNicoleRenegadeTalk at gmail.com. And with that note, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio Atlanta, and don't forget to tune in next time. And remember this, nothing says let's celebrate America quite like drinking copious amounts of alcohol and playing with explosives. <laughs> All right, until then, my darlings, well, we'll see you next time, my precious little heathens. Happy Fourth of July, happy Independence Day, and happy birthday, America. Mwah! We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Hello, my little heathens. So you stayed to hear the full text of the Declaration of Independence. And what follows here is an original reading of the Declaration of Independence that I got off of the U.S. government via archive.gov in Congress, July 4th, 1776 the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. 
but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such as has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained, and when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the rights of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the dispatory of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the right of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers, incapable of annihilation, have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states, for that purpose obstructing the laws of naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for his ten- for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He is affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He is combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses 
for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government, and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworth the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens, taken captive on the high seas, to bear arms against their country, to become the executioner of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their own hand. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us, and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince who char whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We, th we must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation, and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace friends. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Thank you, Thomas Jefferson.